been touring the Camp Lee meetings this last summer and had wonderful times. God was good to us. We're very much involved in the Lord's work. Still, I've, I don't understand the word retirement. I think it's of the devil. Change of pace, yes. But I want to serve the Lord as long as I live. How about you? I want to share his love with everybody, wherever I go, wherever I'm asked to come. And Brother Ron, thank you for inviting us to come over here today. This guy, Abraham Lincoln, has been around for a long time. His birthday was a week ago now, two weeks ago, actually, almost, uh, the 12th of February. And some of you may know more about Lincoln than others. But had he lived, he would have been 205 years old. He was born February 12, 1809. It was my youngest daughter, Delisa, a little blonde hair, blue eyed girl, seven years old. We're in Singapore. I'm lying in a hospital bed, recovering from surgery. We had no television. I'd rather read a book any day. And so I took books over with me to read for the seven days I was in the Youngberg Memorial Hospital, Adventist Hospital in Singapore. Every night my family would come visit me to see how daddy was going along. And they would check on me. Well, every night, boys and girls, I would hear this sound again coming down the hall of the hospital. You don't run in a hospital, you know that, don't you? But Delisa had problems remembering. And she'd come running into my room ahead of her older brother and sister. She was a first grader. She wanted to tell me what she had learned that day. And so she would come running in and I would say, Lisa, please don't run in the hospital. You know what she would say? I forgot. Boys and girls, that's why we have mommies and daddies and teachers in school because I forgot. You forget? Mommies and daddies, do you all forget? Some of you aren't telling the truth. We all forget. That's why we have, we come to church every week. We've heard the stories over and over again, but we need to be reminded. So my major professor in grad school taught me years ago, Dr. George Akers, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. Think on that one for a while. We need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. So the last night, I'm going to be discharged the next day. Now, I had let my hair grow. Uh, my beard, I should say, grow. I never had a beard in my life before. But my hair was pitch black, like most of you younger folks are. and The older ones who share a little color. That's good. Stay young that way. And so uh, my beard had grown and about like yours. You know, I could make an Abe Lincoln out of you with a little work. We get rid of this, shape this up a little bit. And if you're not tall enough, we'll get you a taller hat. The guy who founded our organization called the Association of Lincoln Presenters, he was 5'8", but he made it up with a tall hat. By the way, how tall was Abe Lincoln? Six feet, four inches tall. How many mathematicians do we have here? Oh, two or three of you are pretty good in math. 
Lincoln was five, uh, was uh, six feet, four inches tall. I'm five feet, 16 inches tall. Who's taller? Oh, you're laughing because you can't do the math, right? We're the same for those. I don't want you to sit there and think about that all this time. But anyhow, we happen to be the same height. I weigh 10 pounds more than he because I have Taco Bell. He didn't. Don't go all the time, but it's okay to go once in a while, okay? We do that. We enjoy Taco Bell from time to time. But it was Lisa who came running through that last night. I'm lying up there reading. The overhead lights are off. Spotlight over my shoulder so I can read the book. Head of the bed raised a little bit. Beard had been growing. And she stopped at the door. She didn't jump up on my bed as she'd done all the other nights. So I looked over at her and I said, hi, Lisa. Come on in. She's looking at me like she'd seen a ghost. She comes over very cautiously, puts her hands on the foot of the bed, looks at me and said, almost breathlessly, Daddy, do you know who you look like? I said, I guess I look like your father. No. You look like Abraham Lincoln. I said, oh, child, what are you talking about? She put her hands on her hips. Gentlemen, have you learned yet when a woman puts hands on hips, something's going to happen? You bet. I'm not sure what. She put her hands on her hips. She looks at me and she says, yes, and he's my favorite president. The rest is history. It's changed my whole ministry. I've done Lincoln for President Ronald Reagan, Washington, D.C. But you know who I'd most rather do Lincoln for? You got it. Those kids. I love kids. I usually do him for schools. I was up at Fleece here uh, on the day, I guess after Lincoln's birthday. And uh, talking to the children there. I enjoy doing it. Now, Lincoln would never do what I'm doing. He would never wear a hat in the house of God. But you need to see the full picture. If you want to get some pictures, we'll take plenty afterwards. Feel free to do that. I'm in no hurry. I retired. <laughs> Did I say that? I'm, oh, I was going to tell you that story. I remembered. I'm walking down the hallway. This happened in Orlando. An, uh, I was in an elementary school. And so I was walking down the hall and I saw this little, another blonde haired, blue eyed girl. Wasn't Lisa this time. And I tipped my hat to her and I said, good morning, miss. She said, good morning. And she stopped and looked me over from head to toe. I thought you were dead. Kids call it the way they see it. Aren't you glad God gave us two gifts? Especially two gifts. The gift of laughter, which you've just exercised, and the gift of tears. Lord, make me a nail upon the wall. Fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so small, 
hang a bright picture of your face. Amen. Are you old enough to remember who made that very popular years ago? Elder Glenn Kuhn, a very dear friend of mine and one of my mentors. Bless his heart. What a man. I helped him at the last meeting I ever saw him at at the general conference. Can't remember where it was, but it was back several years ago. And uh, his brother, L.O. Kuhn, I had interned under him up in Lenore City, Tennessee, when I started ministry. And uh, so he asked me if I would be willing to assist his brother on his way. So I helped him. He said he wants to go to the restroom. So I took him to the restroom. He only knew one word. He'd had strokes. And guess what that one word was that he would, as we were walking along, still smiling from ear to ear, for those of you who remember him, the only word he knew was wonderful. Wonderful. I would say something to him, wonderful. You know, if I'm down to one word, I'd like to have that word locked in my mind so I could at least say something positive. Wonderful. That was his Glenn Coons famous favorite word. I remember him preaching. It was always wonderful. His Lord, wonderful. So when I heard that, my brother alluded to it. I appreciated it. And that's what we are, nails on the wall. And that's where I feel today. And whatever I say here today, I want to say it for the glory of God. Yes, we will laugh. That's okay. Do you think the Lord didn't have a sense of humor? Take a look at those clowns that followed him. He had all kinds of them. You're bound to laugh at them sometime. And I imagine my Lord laughed with them and perhaps at them sometimes. At their density and all that goes with it. And I think he probably looks at me sometime and said, Chet, I think you're going to make it. Just keep walking, but stay close to me. And I want to stay close to my Lord. There's no other place safe except by his side. It happened in Java. That small island with the biggest population in the archipelago of Indonesia that would reach from Washington to the New England states. We were missionaries there. This story I'm telling you did not happen to me, but it happened to a good missionary friend of another faith. And he told me this story. And I want you to listen to it real carefully. One day, a knock at his door. He opened the door and it happened to be a, an Indonesian gentleman. The missionary spoke Indonesian like most of us did. And he invited him to come in. He went in and just briefly the man said, I would like to know something about Christianity. Would you please teach me and my people something about Christianity? Now the missionary was wise enough to know that you can't proselytize a Muslim in Indonesia. No Indonesian is, and, and uh, Muslim Islam is not the official language, uh, pardon me, the official religion of Indonesia. But it is, by most all of those who are there, 
is their religion. You can proselytize among other Christians, but not a Muslim. Now, the missionary, knowing this, begged off and he said, I'm sorry, I'm really busy right now. I can't do that. But the man didn't give up. A few days later, he's back asking him again. Would you teach us and my, me and my people something about Christianity? This happened week after week. And after a while, the man said, Lord, is there something I'm supposed to do here? I don't want to get thrown out of here. Thought about it, prayed about it. Now, the Muslim faith accepts Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament that they agree with. I've often wondered why they can agree with it because very early in the book of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. That sounds like a plural, plurality, doesn't it? Our. But he just invited the man to come. They started this Bible study and he was very cautious what he said. He only dwelt with the areas that he knew they could accept. Well, it wasn't long after many of these visits that the missionary realized it was not a ploy to get him thrown out of the country. Rather, this was a sincere desire on the part of this man. And then the missionary got curious. Why well, would make him to do this? So one day he felt close enough to the guy. He said, look, he said, I got a question for you, brother. Why is it that you, a Muslim, ask me, a Christian, to teach you about Christianity when Islam believes it, it is newer than Christianity and it only has one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet? Why do you come to me and ask me to teach you about Christianity? And the man said in great solemnity, Sir, we seek a religion of forgiveness. Do you know, folks, the Christian faith is the only religion that teaches forgiveness. The others, if you do something wrong, you do something good and hope that by the time you're dead, you're balancing toward the good. It is Christianity that teaches forgiveness. That a God loved us so much that he came as a baby. He lived here. He died here. But he rose again. And he extends to every one of us forgiveness. Unconditional. His blood covers all of our sins. You know that song that the blacks love to sing and I love it. The blood that Jesus shed for me. I love that song. Way back on Calvary, it was his blood that covered us and covers us. It is all sufficient. I am concerned, my brothers and sisters with what is happening and has happened in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, of which I'm a member, a pastor of, I am very concerned that somehow we need to find forgiveness all over again.
Why do I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is tarrying? It's not because the work is not finished over there, wherever there is. Because who was telling us this morning, our, our good brother Tom back here, I believe, was talking about how the Internet, we can, we can tell the world in just moments. You think you got a lot of cell phones here? Do you know what country has the most cell phones? The last time I saw the statistics, Philippines. And Thailand's right on the coattail. The work can be finished out there quickly. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is waiting to finish the work of God in the heart of Chet Dameron. And you. So that I can live at peace with that woman right there. And forgiveness every day. I will never get to the place that I don't need God's forgiveness in my life. There is nothing else I can stand on. It's the foundation rock of the Seventh-day Adventist message, the Catholic message, the Baptist method, and all the rest of them who are preaching what the book says. Forgiveness. All the other things. Beautiful Sabbath day. I believe it with all my heart. A good way of living, which we've seen on the screen this morning. Good building blocks for me as a person. But that does not save me. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is my foundation. And I need to make sure. I need to make sure that I understand this. And I hope that you will feel that same way. That you will understand it to the point that you will practice it every day. And it starts in your heart in relationship to those around you. Your family, my family, our neighbors, the way we treat them, the way we treat people. I lived many years in Berrien Springs, Michigan, associate pastor of the Pioneer Memorial Church. And it grieved my heart when I would talk to my son, who was a businessman in town, still is, owns an automotive repair place. And he says to me, Dad, you know, it grieves, and he's a Seventh-day Adventist. He said, Dad, it grieves my heart the way some of the merchants in this town are treated by Seventh-day Adventist Christians. They are very unfair. They will try to get the cheapest price. They will try this. They, they, they do unethical things to these merchants. And then they want to share with them the good news of Jesus and his love. He said, it bothers me. I said, it bothers me too, Don. It bothers me too. So my brothers and sisters... Why is Jesus delaying his coming? I think it's because you and I are not ready at the place he wants us to be on this thing of forgiveness. Amen. And so today in your bulletin, you will see the topic. Big Abe forgives. So can I. And I've come to you today as Abraham Lincoln for the boys and girls 
but also for you. Hoping that it might be a vehicle that I can convey to you my message today. And I want to tell you some stories about Abraham Lincoln. Now, I've done Lincoln for 39 years since that incident I talked to you about back in 1974 in Singapore with my daughter, Lisa. Oh, yes, she's still in her 40s now, and she talks to me with hands on hips. I love her. She's a great salesperson in the pharmaceutical area. And we laugh about it because she still puts her hands on her hips. And I said, oh, Lisa, I remember when you were a little blonde. Dad, don't go there. All right. But we laugh about it and love and forgive. Well, <laughs> tell you about Lincoln. I'm often asked by adults as well as children, is Abraham Lincoln going to heaven? And I say, what do you think? Well, he was a good man. Yeah, very good man. He was an honest man, known as the most honest man probably that ever lived in our time, in our country. Remind me of another little sub story, and that is, I was in Berrien Springs back a few months ago and I happened to go down to the uh, grocery, uh, not the grocery store, but the hardware store to get something for my uh, sister-in-law fixing an electric light at her house. And as I parked in the garage, in the driveway there, I uh, saw a big Lincoln car, dark maroon, beautiful car. I happened to recognize the car. It was the realtor, a good friend of mine who's a Christian of another faith. And as I looked at that car, here was a, a sign on the front of the car, like a license plate. And you know what that saying said? Good people don't go to heaven. That stopped me. Good people don't go to heaven. I looked at it closer and there was a dash right after heaven. Good people don't go to heaven, dash. You know, it helps to read the rest of the fine print. Sinners who are forgiving and forgiven go to heaven. Does that change your vote? You see, Chet Dameron will never be good enough to go to heaven. Won't make it. I can't be good enough. There's not enough times between now and the time I die that I can be good enough that God's going to take me to heaven because I'm such a good boy. Heaven is not built on good people. Jesus made that very clear, didn't he? He came and called whom? Sinners. People who felt their need. There's the beginning of salvation, is to feel our need. I need forgiveness every. So good people don't go to heaven. Sinners who are forgiving and forgiven go to heaven. Now, will Abraham Lincoln make it? Well, he had a hard time choosing generals. He went through 12 before he won the Civil War. By the way, who did win the Civil War? Anybody know? The North. 
Well, at least we got somebody over here who'll talk to me. Do you know what I learned the other day, honey? Carolyn and I were in Gettysburg. I was doing Lincoln up there. Strange, huh? Good place to do it. That's where he gave that 272-word speech on November 19, 1863. The speech that is being taught today in China to the children, and they don't understand a word they're saying, but they memorize it. And the teachers use the Gettysburg Address to teach grammar. How you like that? So those of you coming to America, maybe you need help in English, memorize the Gettysburg Address. It's only 272 words, takes less than three minutes to say it. Lincoln gave it in a little less than three minutes. And the man who was hired, the great Edwin Everett, he was the great awe to the day. He spoke an hour and 57 minutes. We don't remember a thing in the world he said. We do remember that Abraham Lincoln said these words. Four score and seven years ago. He had a high-pitched voice, not like mine. Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. You'll have to pay to hear the rest of it. <laughs> That's what I told him on the United flight out of Hawaii a year ago on President's Day. We happened to be flying that day. And I did, I was, went dressed as Lincoln and did that. And the plane exploded with laughter. I'm thankful it was laughter. But we had a good time. We had a good time. You see, Lincoln spoke to 25,000 people, it was estimated that day, and he did not have a microphone. He had a high, thin voice, but could be heard at great distances, we're told. We had no recording devices, so we don't know exactly what he sounded like. But uh, that was my interpretation of what I thought Lincoln might look like. That was the first paragraph of the Gettysburg Address. And by the way, he didn't believe he didn't write it on the back of a brown envelope those three hours in his trip from Washington to Gettysburg. He'd started on it days ahead of time. He wrote on it that night till 11 o'clock when he got there. He went down and read it to his aides, asking their opinion, got up early the next morning, went at 10 o'clock and gave the Gettysburg address, came home and made some more changes. The Gettysburg Address has five different versions. Not big changes, but slight changes. Why those changes? Abraham Lincoln was a perfectionist when it came to English. He was making it better every time. Just a little insight into Lincoln's life. But Abraham Lincoln was an honest man but he was a great forgiver. That's what I like to call him. Big Abe forgives, so can I. So if Big Abe can forgive, Chet Dameron can forgive. He set a good example for me. And me is all I can talk about. I can't talk about you because God did not give me permission to judge you. There's another little problem we have. 
We are very hard on each other. We are very judgmental people. We do it almost unconsciously, folks. Don't judge people the way they look, what you think about them. Let God do the judging. I've said to some of my colleagues, you know, God's work is when he gets back here is going to be not quite as heavy as it was going to be before. Why? I said, well, we've spent so much time judging people in our church that we've done it already for the Lord. And that's not true, of course, but. Don't judge your brother and sister. The Bible only says one thing. Love your brother. Love your sister. Pray for them. The Holy Spirit will change them. Did you know that? God's already taken care of that. He doesn't need me to change you. You're not measured up by me. I'm not the standard. I'm your brother in Christ. I'm a sinner, just like Abraham Lincoln was a, a sinner. But Abraham Lincoln was a great forgiver. I could stand here the rest of this time. It's coming along. I'm watching it there, Ron. I'm going to stop five minutes before you do. I was teasing him about it. But I want to tell you this about Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln held malice toward none. He said it. You're going to get a bookmark, and I meant to have you hand those out. Did, did they get handed out? Yeah, go ahead and hand them out now. It's fine. We have, uh, I've prepared a bookmark for you uh, from your story hour, courtesy of your story hour. By the way, what I do for your story hour, I do is a gift to the children. I'm not paid a penny by your story hour. I do it because I love children. 17 years, God's given me the strength to do it, and I praise his name. But on the back of that bookmark you're getting, it says that he has malice toward how many? None. Abraham Lincoln did not carry grudges. He didn't hate people. He forgave over and over again. One of our most famous stories that we tell in your story hour is called Billy Faces the Firing Squad. Billy Scott Faces the Firing Squad. Abraham Lincoln pardoned him because he went to sleep on guard duty during the Civil War. He forgave him. Abraham Lincoln was called, hired when he was a lawyer, before he was president. He came from uh, Illinois over to Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, to participate in the uh, uh, guy who, who, who uh, created the reaping machine. Who am I talking about? Eli Whitney. Yeah. There was a big lawsuit over a patent. Somebody tried to copy his machinery. So Lincoln was told, hired to come over and participate. Now, the guy who was the lawyer that was leading this pack of lawyers, several lawyers, his name was Edward M. Stanton. Stanton was a very arrogant guy. And you know what? He hated Abe Lincoln. He had no time for him. I don't know why. I've never been able to find that out. But he did not like him. 
And so he comes into the courthouse. He didn't even invite Lincoln to come into his chambers, into his office, as was the custom in those days. He didn't even have the common courtesy to do that. And so on that given day, it just happened so that here comes in Edwin M. Stanton and two or three of his henchmen. Abe Lincoln walks in over here by himself. And Stanton looked over there and saw Lincoln. And he shouted out to him, out so everybody could hear it. What can that D, what can that blank long-armed ape do for us? Swore at him, called him a name. What did Lincoln do? He continued walking. You know, my brothers and sisters, some of the best treatment you can give an insult is to ignore. Ignore it. Lincoln ignored it. The court trial was held. The briefs were written. Lincoln's brief was chosen to present to the judge. And guess who won the case? Cyrus McCormick won. Lincoln had prepared the best. Now Lincoln went back to Illinois. A few years later, he runs for president. He's elected as president. Now what's the first thing a president is to do? The first thing a president has to do when he's elected is he must appoint a cabinet. No, not the kind that we put dishes in. No, he has to bring in other men, and today women, but in those days it was men. He had to bring in men to help him. And guess what he did? I think this is the great mark of a leader. He brought in people who were against him. You can read the book, 750 pages, written by, what's her name, honey? I can always ask my wife, you know. You ever have one of those happen? It's a muscle cramp that goes through the brain. <laughs> Doris Kearns Goodwin. <laughs> we got all three names, didn't we? Thank you. It'll, it'll loosen up sometime when you do that. Try it. Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote a book entitled A Team of Rivals. So Lincoln brought in his rivals, the guys who wanted to be the president even more than he wanted to be the president. Now there's leadership. Somebody said, keep your opposition close to you. But Lincoln trusted these men. And guess who he appointed Secretary of War? Ah, uh, you've got an idea, haven't you? I heard the laughter. Edwin M. Stanton, the guy who swore at him and called him a name. Now, to Stanton's credit, I must admit, he did fight the war as Lincoln told him to fight it. He stood by Lincoln and supported him, even though he couldn't stand his guts. He didn't like him. He made no bones about it. So the war was fought. And by the way, I didn't help this little lady a while ago. I asked you who won the war, honey. Honey, I don't know her name. Frida? I asked you who won the war and you said 
Who'd you say won the war, the Civil War? Huh? The North, you said, didn't you? Someone said it. Anyhow, the North, that's what I heard. But you know something? I'll help you with that, sweetie. When we were up there in Gettysburg, when we were up there in, in Gettysburg, we took the bus ride. How many of you have been to Gettysburg? It's quite an experience. To, they take you from battlefield to battlefield to battlefield. What a terrible, terrible war. Very uncivil. Yeah. So they took us. And on our way back to the bus station, our bus driver said, you know, I've been doing this for many years and I've been studying the Civil War and I've come to the conclusion that the North did not win the Civil War. And the South did not win the Civil War. Who won the Civil War? The United States of America. And I think he's right. God kept our nation together. What do you say? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, Abraham Lincoln, back to him. Here he is, president, 14th of April, 1865. The war is almost over. He goes to a play. They didn't have movie theaters in those days, so he went down to see a play called Our American Cousin. It was a comedy. He wanted to laugh some. Lincoln needed to laugh to get out of the doldrums. That's the way he did it. That was his medicine. He would laugh. And so Lincoln went down there with his wife. We know what happened. John Wilkes Booth slipped in, shot him point blank right behind the left ear. Lincoln was carried to an adjoining house. At 722 the next morning, he breathed his last breath. April 15, 1865. Standing at the foot of that bed was one of his men who, upon Lincoln's death, raised his hand and said these immortal words. Now he belongs to the ages. Who was it? Edwin M. Stanton, his enemy. Lincoln forgave. I expect to meet Lincoln in heaven. No, he was never baptized. He was never a member of a church. Well, neither was the thief on the cross when I come to think about it. As far as we know. Jesus said to him, you'll be there. You'll be there. I'm not saying there's anything being wrong with members of a church. I'm a member of a church. I've been baptized. That's all good. But on the rock forgiveness, I must stand before God. The Lord Jesus Christ pours into me his forgiveness, but it does not stop there. Would you pray with me? Close your eyes, fold your hands and pray with me these words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Is that the end of the Lord's Prayer? We said amen. It's what it says in Matthew 6. Did you read it lately? Matthew 6. Is that the end of the Lord's Prayer? Verse 13. I don't believe it is. Here's my reason. It's almost like Jesus said, hey, you guys, you see the disciples that asked him to teach them to, to pray because John's disciples had been taught how to pray. So they wanted to be like John, teach us to pray. And here is the rest of the Lord's prayer. I believe that Jesus gave. It's kind of like this. He said, hey, you fellas. I don't think you understood what I said. And here's what he says in verses 13, uh, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to have a college degree to understand that one in my estimation. I think children can understand that. Jesus Christ pours into me forgiveness. It covers my sins, but it can't stop there. That's not where it'll work. It's got to flow out of me into that woman right there. And so every night or during the day, we do it sometimes during the day. I may say something out of kilter for her. And I say, sweetheart, please forgive me. And what do you say? Please forgive me and I forgive you. I love you. We go to bed at night and sleep like babies. You know why? We believe in forgiveness of each other. Amen. I hope that you will do this in your families. Gentlemen, it doesn't show a weakness for you to say to your children, I'm sorry. I used to have to say this to my kids so often. I'm sorry, kids. My voice is too strong today. Please forgive me, would you? And the kids always forgave. That's, that's what we've got to be in this church, folks. I need this in my church, wherever I am. You need it in this church. I don't know whether you live at peace with your people or not. I don't know. Probably some cat fights go on in this. I call them cat fights. You ever heard of that? We, we, there are always disagreements. We, is the glass half full or half empty? Both are right. You know, it's how you see life. We're not here to judge each other. We're here to love each other, encourage each other and move on. That's what Jesse Jackson said the great leader in the black movement there in those days, he said, we must forgive each other and redeem each other. Oh, there's redemption in forgiveness. I believe he was right. We must forgive each other, redeem each other, and move on. Don't get stuck in unforgiveness. It'll bog you down. You'll die old and miserable. And I'm going to ask you this question, brothers and sisters. 
If I accept the grace of God and I don't pass it on to my wife and my children, my neighbors and everybody at church, if I don't pass it on and forgive you, what happens? Jesus said it right there in verses 14 and 15. Memorize it. Get it in your mind, please. Practice it. Forgive others. Because if I don't forgive my wife, at any time, what happens? What happens to God's grace? Is it continue to flow on me? Jesus said, whoops. It doesn't continue to flow. If you forgive your brother, your sister, your wife, children, my father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive, my father in heaven will not forgive you. The question of the morning is this afternoon now. The question of the day is this. Can Chet Dameron go to heaven with any unforgiven sins? Yes or no? What's wrong with the rest of you? You're not sure? I cannot, I'll help you. I cannot go to heaven and be saved with unforgiven sins in my life. That's the condition. Jesus said it right there. I need his blood to cover me. You need it to cover you. But we must receive his grace and his forgiveness and let it flow out to others. Why do we wait sometimes? Our pride holds us back. Jesus said, forgive how? Quickly. Not wait a year or two. Brief story. I'm going to eat my words, but please forgive me. I'm an Indonesia missionary, worked hard, giving it my all, came home on furlough. I'd had some problems with the union president. I was president of the college and three or four other things. He and I didn't see things exactly alike, and that's okay. But apparently, he didn't want me back in the mission field because two weeks before I was to return with my family, I got a cable that says, committee action, union committee action, do not return to Indonesia. How do you think I felt? I was career missionary. Had been in Indonesia, Thailand. Now I'm in Indonesia. I wanted to be a career missionary. Don't come back to Indonesia. Didn't no accusation. Didn't say why. Just said don't come back. Signed Alvin Bartlett, Union President. By the way, I have his family's permission to tell this story. That hurt me pretty deeply, really cut me to the core. I'd given everything I could to that, to that uh, mission. And I get this reply. I'm sitting around the house that night crying, poor me. You ever had a pity party? Oh, I heard some laughter. Yeah, aren't they fun? I don't, fun in quotes. My son had almost been killed a month before by, he was riding his grandmother's brand new bicycle. And he turned, made a wrong turn in Indonesia. We drive on the left side of the road instead of the right. He forgot. He pulled out in front of a lady and she hit him and knocked him 33 feet, split his head open. We thought he was going to die, but he survived, praise God. He's still alive. We ask, thank God for that. But here he was sitting on the other side of the table, 13 years old, and his head was bound up like a, have you seen an Indian Sikh, how they... Uh, take white cloth and put up on 
He looked, I said, Don, you look just like an Indian Sikh. His eyes had turned black because of all the concussion, bled in his, he had black eyes, and then he, by this time, they were turning yellow. But Donnie was 13 years old, quiet kid. I'm there complaining. One minute I'm pounding, the, angry and crying, and it hurt. I was mad. I was upset. God knew it. He's patient. You can shake your fist in God's face, by the way, because what happened that very day, my team lost the World Series. So here my son almost gets killed. I get this cable and my team lost. How much can I take? You can shake your fist at God. He's had it done a lot of times. He won't strike you dead. He knows how you feel. It's okay. My son said to me very quietly, Daddy, toward the end of the evening, he said, Dad, maybe God has something better for us. And it was like shingles had just fallen from my eyes. And I said, Don, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to have those kind of thoughts, not you. And we all laughed and went to bed. This happened. Sure as I'm standing here. Next morning, 7 o'clock, my mother called me, get out of bed, phone call. From whom? Singapore, I don't know. I answered the phone, and here was my good friend, Ralph Watts, union president, Southeast Asia, Singapore. He said to me in that low voice, he said, what are you doing, boy? I said, I'm trying to get some sleep. You leave me alone. He knew all about it. He said, well, get up, get packed, and get over here. I want you. I said, so you want a loser, do you? See what happens, pity party? He said, listen to me, boy. You are not a loser. You've never been a loser. Pack and come over here and be my ministerial director and the director of the voice of prophecy. Bye. Bam. He slammed the phone down. Five days later, I'm in Singapore. And God did have something better for us. Praise his name. But the most I think happened was when I, after being there for several months and I'm having all this stuff going on inside me, I developed by this time migraine headaches. I'd never had a migraine headache in my my life. One day I found a book that helped me. A book. By David Augsburger on forgiveness. I read it three times before I could understand it. It said, bottom line, I don't care what you've done to me. You don't have to ask my forgiveness, but I sure need to forgive you because I deserve it. So I forgive you. If you don't ask my forgiveness, it's okay. That's not what it's all about. God doesn't divide this thing up and say, well, you were only 32.5% wrong. The other guy was really a bad guy. Jesus does not deal in percentages here. No. Forgive. That's his word. Who's at fault? Don't care. Forgive. Don't waste your time trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. No. My dad always said it this way. There's three sides to every question. Your side, my side, and out here in the middle is the right side. I think the old man with seven grades knew what he was talking about. 
Most of the time, it's just us as being human beings. So I got the message. And I forgave Elder Bartlett. And I felt so good and I was sleeping good at night. The migraine headaches went away. Never had another one. Gone. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That was in 1970. Are you with me? Okay. 1980. 2000. 2008. 38 years later, I opened my computer. And here's a letter from Alvin Bartlett. Dear Brother Dameron, I enjoyed my long tenure in Indonesia. God was good to me. But I've reflected and I've thought back to those days. And I've come to you asking forgiveness because I didn't treat you very good. Would you please forgive me because I want to be your neighbor in heaven. See, we had lived next door to each other. Ooh, is that uncomfortable? I want to be your neighbor again in heaven. Ooh, I'm not sure about that, Lord. Uh, maybe you better put him over there and me over there. Can't you hear the Lord saying, I'm going to bring both you guys up here. I gave you several years there in Indonesia and you couldn't make it. I'm, I'm going to give you a thousand. No, I think I'll give you 2,000 years to work on it. I'm going to put you side by side till y'all learn how to live. It ain't going to happen in heaven, folks. We got to get it together here. Amen. Do you hear me? Amen. It's here we make these things right. It's here that I must live at peace. And here was this letter from Elder Bartlett. I broke down and cried like a baby. Even though I'd forgiven him, it felt so good to get this letter. I turned right around and wrote him a letter and said, Elder Bartlett, I forgave you years ago. Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to be at peace and I want to be at peace. And I'm sorry. Some of the stuff I did probably, I was a young buck, 33 years old, thought I knew a lot. I probably wouldn't do very easy to live with. He was much older than I. When he wrote this letter, he was 92 or 93. But I wrote him right back. Simple. And I wondered, why do we wait 38 years? That's why Jesus said, forgive how? Quickly. Don't let it drag. And our pride says, no, no, no. Let's wait a while. Let's wait a while. Brothers and sisters, out of my own experience, don't wait. Don't wait. It's going to do wonders for you. I just came back from Camp Kalakwa, where I preached on this subject for th four days. No, not continuously. I gave them a break. I'm going to give you a break here in a minute. But here's what I shared with them, and I want to share this with you. Heard of Ann Landers? She wrote a column many years ago and many long years in the newspaper. And this has to do with forgiveness. Somebody wrote to her. She'd written an article on forgiveness. Dear Ann Landers, you must be made of stone, the writer says. You tell every wronged husband or wife, our daughter, our son, sweetheart, friend, or neighbor to forgive and forget. That's the saying that's not accurate in my book. Forget. I've just recalled something that happened how many years ago? But it's powerless to create in me anger and anxiety. That's gone. But I want to remember the lesson I learned out of that. 
But we are forgiven. Praise the Lord. But anyhow, he says, forgive and forget. Did it ever occur to you that some people just can't forgive? And we can't. That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ to give us forgiveness so we can extend it on. But this poor guy didn't know it. They are too deeply hurt, too badly damaged. Please pull your head out of the sand or the clouds or wherever it is and use it to think with. It is preposterous to expect mere mortals to behave like saints. Signed, no saint. <laughs> she wrote him back these words, dear no saints. For those who don't like my advice to forgive and forget, here's an alternative. Don't forgive. Don't forget. Keep alive every agonizing, torturous detail of the past. Talk about it. Dream about it. Cry a lot and feel sorry for yourself. Lose weight. Look haggard so friends will wonder about you and worry. Build an ulcer. Get a migraine. Break a leg. Anything to create pain and serve as a reminder of what that dirty louse did to you. If you follow this advice, you are sure to end up miserable, sick, bitter, and alone. Those are the benefits, the opposites of what I've just said. God provides forgiveness and new life through his son, Jesus Christ. After I'd preached this one day, a lady said to me, an ounce of forgiveness is better than a pound of loneliness. I want to be a happy person. How about you? I want to be a forgiving person. How about you? It's all possible through the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Big Abe forgave. So can I. Let us pray. Loving Father, thank you for forgiving us. Give us courage to pass it on, to practice it. The more we practice it, the better we'll get at it because you're there to support us and encourage us. Oh, sometimes when we're up on a mountaintop, it's all good. Feels good up there. But then something happens and we're down in the valley. We feel lonely there. Help us to remember that you are with us. That we have no fear, no fear at all, because you are the great forgiver. Cleanse us, enable us to live the Christian life. By so doing, we will hasten your coming, Lord. And that we pray for. And may it happen soon, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Carolyn and I would like to leave you with a song that has meant so very much to us. I went through some pretty heavy stuff in my life. I've not covered that today or gone into it with you. But Carolyn and I have found in Jesus the answer to our problems. And the problems I had back then that I'm referring to does not involve her. But Jesus Christ 
has taken care of my problems. He'll take care of yours. And a friend of mine, when that trouble hit me like a, a bolt out of the blue, you know, uh, the little lady, Brenda Walsh, 3ABN, she told me about this song that we're going to sing for you today. It's called The God of the Mountain. Life is easy when I'm up on the mountain. I've got peace of mind like I've never known. Then things change and I'm down in the valley. I don't lose faith for I'm never alone. And the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, He'll make it right. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. I talk of faith when I'm up on the mountain. Talk comes easy when life's at its best. It's down in the valley of trials and temptations. That's when my faith is really put to the test. And the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, He'll make it right. Yes, He will. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. I see some of you mouthing the words. Let's sing that chorus together, shall we? And the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make it right. Yes, he will. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. Now you're right there in your church bulletin. Our brother referred to this in his prayer. Is a little song we want to leave you with and ask you to sing it with us. We took a chorus that some of you know already and added a few words that we like. Kind of make it our own. Teach me Let's start over again on that. I'm sorry. Teach me, Father, day by day. Teach me, Father, how to pray. Teach me all along life's way to forgive like Jesus, to forgive like 
one more time as you stand, would you? Let's stand and sing it one more time. Teach me, Father, how by day. Teach me, Father, how to pray. Teach me all along life's way. How to do offering. Like G. What's that? We still need to do offering. Okay. Forgive like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus. Help me, Lord, to daily grow and forgive like Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity to practice this right now. I'm sorry that I've gone so long today. I'm told these kids are hungry and ready to go. But I ask you to forgive me, please. Thank you. And if you didn't forgive me, you can work on it. <laughs> Pray about it. 